0: Coming up on the payoff, it's not every day you get the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys to tell you his story of recovery, but today that's what we got. Quincy Carter was a starter for the Cowboys for about three seasons. He played football for Georgia, was one of the best football players in the country. Before that, he was drafted 52nd overall in the Major League Baseball draft. But shortly after he picked up a baseball and a bat, he picked up marijuana too, and he talks about from that day forward. His whole life was different, and his life spiraled out of control. He was cut by the Cowboys in 2004. Some of that was connected to drug use, or maybe all of it, you would say. It was connected to drug use, and it got worse from there. But today, it is much, much better. I actually saw Quincy get his two-year chip in Austin last summer, so I knew he was back in the mix. And boy, is he in the mix big time. So you're going to love this story. Uh, It is uh, a very humble, genuine guy, and he he talks about being authentic, and Quincy Carter is 100% authentic. So let's get to Quincy Carter, but first, my main man, Kevin Souza.
1: To the right, three-man rush. Carter surveys deep. Finds his man, hits him, and that's Antonio Bryant. Unbelievable <laughs> to, to throw the Quincy uh, Carter makes there.
0: So you were born in Chicago, but you moved to yeah. Atlanta when you were how old? uh Three. Okay, so you have not much memory of growing up in Chicago, if any at all, right?
1: No, just the summer times with my uh, grandparents, too. I was about 13 years old when I really started playing a lot of travel baseball during the summertime.
0: You grew up in Decatur, and and, and that's not an easy life. Uh, how, how fast did you have to grow up?
1: Back then, the neighborhood was different. And my neighborhood was low income. I felt like as a kid growing up that, you know, my mom provided everything that I needed. But you know, there was a lot of protection around the neighborhood too. You know, back then, uh, things that guys were getting into, you know, we were being encouraged to stay out the streets, get in the house, uh, get your books and things of that nature. And so it was a protection type deal too, with some of the older guys in the neighborhood, man, and um you know, we like to play a lot of throw-up tackle. We had a big field in the middle of our apartment complex. And so uh, we spent a lot of time out there in those fields and playing basketball and stuff like that. And uh, and I was a wreck ball kid growing up. So right off the school bus, you know, I got off at Gresham Park, you know, where I played baseball, football, and basketball to start my younger years of sports.
0: How fast did you know that you were going to be an a, an exceptional athlete? Like or, around what age?
1: Well, I, I tell you, uh I played I played with a lot of great athletes coming out of Gresham Park. Um so uh, who's so the best who's to, the best one uh
0: that the people would know about?
1: Uh the people know about who I played against uh well, there's a few, man. I had Patrick Paz, uh he played at sure. Tucker. Yeah, uh, high son Graham, he came up before I did with the New England Patriots. Uh, I had a couple guys that didn't really uh, make it to the NFL, but were just exceptional, you know, high school and college uh, football players. Uh, Jerome Weeks was a guy I looked up to, uh, playing quarterback, went to McNair High School. Um, Man, shoot, Chip Hooks was a legendary running back. And you're so uh, you're from this
0: huge talent pool. Uh, so you kind of yeah. almost you, you, you don't even know how good you are.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and then I started to excel in baseball first. Yeah. You know, I really took off in baseball. You know, I spent a lot, you know, all my summers from three to about 12, 13 up in Chicago with my grandparents on the summertime. But uh, when I was thirteen, I got elected to play for the East Cobb Astros, and uh, so shoot, I played seventy-five to hundred games every summer in baseball. And so my baseball started to take off. You know, I started to get recognition in football. Not until really my junior
0: year, because they saw you, you know, pitching, had- right? They saw you—you—you you got a cannon. Um, I mean, the gods came down and touched your arm, right? When you were younger, know, you could throw lasers, <laughs> yeah. man.
1: They really did. And uh and I really started to excel out, you know, out in center field too. Um, and so and I love playing it. You know, I was looking up, we had the you know, the old Nintendo games. so you know, uh Vince Coleman and yeah. Willie McGee, those guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Out in the outfield. Uh even though, you know, it's weird. I was a Cubs fan uh growing up, but uh but I just love those guys, speed. And uh, the way they, you know, ran the bases, and then shoot, um, played exceptional uh, in the outfield, and then always, you know, uh, driving in runs, and and uh, and making sure I emptied the bases when I got up to bat. So, uh, is so, yeah, baseball your first? Love, was...
0: Is baseball your first love?
1: Absolutely, it was. Absolutely. Now that four hundred and fifty thousand I got out of high school. Uh, didn't
0: hurt your decision. Uh, <laughs> so you get you get drafted by the Cubs, right? Like fifty second yeah. overall at at, uh, at a high school. Let me let's let's get to the um you know the meat of the conversation. Uh, just to, I want to check in with you on this. How much is alcohol and drugs involved while Quincy Carter is is separating himself as an exceptional baseball player and ultimately football player in high school?
1: Man, you know something? I I you know, made the ultimate mistake of smoking weed and drinking. Uh one time we was doing this little deal in the parking lot, one of our elementary schools as a sophomore and I never forgot that high I got uh from smoking weed. But that was periodically, you know, um and and then um you know we we were hit and miss on that, and I'm talking once or twice a year, uh but now, uh when I went off to play baseball, uh that's when we really became prevalent in my life. I was away for the first time, uh you know, I'm a natural mama's boy because I'm the only child oh, uh so man i was I was lonely i was you know my first stop was down in Fort Myers, Florida. Uh, and, man, I took off like a rocket in rookie ball, and then I just hit a wall, and partly because, you know, I started doing things off the field that didn't allow my body to continue to perform, and then when I went up uh, to Rockton, Illinois, for my first fourth season, that's when we really took off for me, man, and, um, and to be honest with you, man, I thought it was a friend to escape, you know, whether or not, you know, I made the right decision of playing baseball, being away from my mom and family for the first time ever in my life for such a long period of time, and uh, and I developed that habit right then and there. But um, but yeah, it, it it went away just slightly when I got ready to start preparing for football. Um yeah, so you're and, you're, you know, you're we, in
0: Illinois, you're 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 playing yep. baseball, and you know you're hitting like one thirty. 140 right you said I've, I've heard you say it was freezing cold and all of a sudden oh, I mean you were one of the biggest prospects in the state of Georgia you were probably the biggest prospect in the state of Georgia you were a high school player of the year in Georgia and so all of a sudden football starts to become appealing you know you and you'd already committed to Georgia Tech before baseball uh, but yep. then you end up going to Georgia uh was that let me ask you this was that change you know because i know you're you're a sober guy now and and you're uh uh-huh. you're a 12-step dude like me was that one of those changes like you know wherever we go there we are were you yeah. like man this i i gotta get out of this and then you you go to football and it's kind of like you're just trying to that geographical cure or maybe a career cure
1: yeah a little bit um I think uh, maybe that was a factor, too, because, but, you know, honestly, at the time, you know, I'm thinking uh, that I don't even have a problem at that point, yeah. but when I can go back and look at it, yeah. you know, I really did. I, I go back to a time that I got suspended um, for, uh, for a fight with a teammate, and uh, so I was suspended for about three games, and I, you know, I pretty much had to sit on the bench. This is in the minor, minor leagues? warm up but, yeah, my mm-hmm. leads. Yeah, maybe warm up the left fielder. But before the games, I was going out in the parking lot, you know, because I knew I wasn't going to play. And I was going out in the parking lot with one of the the field crew guys <laughs> and smoking weed and coming back in the, um, you know, in, in the clubhouse, like nothing had happened, smelling like straight weed and, you know, taking a shower just to sit on the bench, man. So you know, when I go back and look at things like that, it was like, Oh, but, um, but going to Georgia, uh, it really changed my mindset and changed my focus. Um, you know, I hired a trainer that, uh, that second full season in baseball. And basically I was working out in the morning times, throwing and lifting. And then in the evenings, uh, well, you know, about three, four o'clock, I would go to the ballpark or whatever and play baseball. So, that we kind of subsided on me. Uh, I had a trainer with me who was from Decatur, and so you know I always was kind of a closet junkie um, and didn't really you know want people to know what I was doing. But and that stayed with me up until about the fifth game when we uh, lost to Tennessee. We were four and zero my freshman year. Yeah. So you, and, by the um, way, you
0: start you're under you're underselling it. You go to Georgia. And you start Uh in the SEC as a freshman. I mean, right away. So it's like you athletically, you hear this statement. I mean, clearly you had a tougher upbringing, you know, the area you grew up in. But like born on third base, thought you hit a triple, right? Like you had this incredible athletic athletic ability. You bounced from minor league baseball where you were the 52nd pick overall to the SEC. You're starting as a freshman in the SEC. That never happens. It had been like 50 years since it happened at Georgia.
1: Yeah, especially back then. Yeah. Uh, but but I really prepared myself. Uh, like I said, man, I got at it during the summertime, right before I went to training camp, and really prepared myself. I had the playbook with me and everything. And uh, shoot, when when August hit, man, I was ready to go and and uh, and really prepared myself. And so we—you're kicking ass out there, like yeah. I got off to a great start. You know, we went down to Baton Rouge and beat them on the road, which, you know, was really tough to play down there. Shoot, still is to today. Uh, What's that like, Quincy? Play-
0: I, let me let me ask you a football question. You walk in there as a freshman, and you're going to play at LSU. What the hell is that like? After, like, what is that experience like? And you're the quarterback.
1: Well, you know, uh, back in high school, man, I had a lot of buddies who wanted to you know, play, uh, we all wanted to play division one football. So we would go to some games with recruiting and everything. Uh, but to be actually on that field, uh, well, man, it, it was just, uh, it was, it was really man a feeling that you can't even describe to be honest with you. We walk, we walk out the locker room and that's when, um, Mike the Tiger yeah. used to be on the field actually, and so we walk out the locker room. Here's this goddamn tiger from Africa <laughs> sitting out, sitting outside the locker room, uh, growling, and, and your skin is just crawling. But the craziest sound and noise I've probably ever heard in my life is when uh, LSU would score. And literally, like your body would just be shaking, and you can feel, um, you can feel just the whole stadium just kind of rocking a little bit, like it was a goddamn earthquake. And I've actually been in one in California, (laughs) and so I, so
0: so you can compare. (laughs)
1: Man, that feeling that I'm describing is so real, you know, uh, but man, that that, uh, that atmosphere was electric, man. It's something, man, that, you know, is really a dream come true, to be honest with you. Uh, but you just, uh, you know, that night, man, I can remember, you know, very vividly. I was in a zone, you know, I was really zoned out. I was really prepared. You know, I knew exactly what they wanted to do on first, second, and third down. All my looks checked out, you know. And it's one of these moments, you know, that I look back of clarity. It's one of those moments that I knew I was sober, too. You know, it's so deep that, you know, um, the feeling that and the thoughts that I'm having right now is that everything was so clear. Yeah. We lose that. We we come back home and we lose the Tennessee. We got our butts beat 22 to 3. And I never forget, man, the feeling that I had of really, you know, for the first time not having success, I would say, and probably, you know, heck, six, seven months or what have you, because I actually had a pretty good summer yeah. that summer playing baseball, too. I think I ended up hitting, shoot, about what, 260, I think, maybe, something like that. But it was decent. Um, and that feeling, you know, of, dang, what do I do? Well, my instinct went back to the feeling that took everything away from me. And that was weed, man. And I started smoking. I remember getting drunk that night, too. And then that's when the roller coaster started again. And uh, so it was periodically, you know, uh, I say I wouldn't smoke, you know, past Thursday. Well, after about two or three weeks of that, next thing you know, you know, before we go to the movies or whatever on Friday night, Now I'm getting high just to relax. And so it was an up and down swing the rest of the season. And to be honest with you, my performance was like that. I wasn't as clear as I was that LSU game when I was seeing everything and reacting to everything, you know. um, But I was blessed with so much athletic ability and and just so much God-given talent to throw the football. You know, I was able to get away with some things. But it wasn't, you know... Um, it wasn't uh, honestly the 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 guy compared to is the uh, the Cam Newton zone. Yeah, you know uh, uh, when that freshman well, whatever year that was for him at Auburn. Yeah, uh, when they won the national championship and he won the Heisman. It's man, 2010, he right? In yeah, no. Oh, my God. He stayed in that zone, dude, for six
0: months, dude.
1: (laughs) That was unbelievable to watch him perform like that. And I could have had the same type results, man. I had all the ability in the world. Uh, But that's how college went. Uh, sophomore year. I come into my sophomore year and the same thing. I revert back to what I did before my freshman year. No smoking, no drinking. I got the boys going. And uh, who did we lose to first? I want to say we lost to man, we lost to Tennessee again. Okay. Uh, That first, yeah, that first uh, loss uh, that season, I think. Um, And yeah, and the same thing goes on again, man. I run back to you know, what I think uh, is taking pressure off and I can relax a little bit. And uh, and my habit, man, just couldn't turn off. Any, and, anybody and I, around I heard... the
0: school, like, who's your coach? Jim Donnan was your coach?
1: Yep, yep, Jim Donnan. Yep. Anybody
0: Anybody on the staff or any of your boys, anybody like, hey, like like you starting to smoke more and, and anybody telling you to put the brakes on or are you so successful that you're kind of in an environment where people are enabling you?
1: bingo 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 you are the winner you just hit it right there yeah you just hit it right there and uh no coach donning i you know we never had a conversation about it i had a coach though coach perry though that's my dude we still talk to this day and he's the running back coach man and and i never forget him being the one uh that always had a little side, you know, conversation with me like, hey, you know you're not fooling me, right? Like I'm sitting around watching this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, you know, I joke about it. Uh but honestly, man, you know, it really stopped my greatness. Uh and then eventually you know, uh, we get into the Cowboys days and, you know, well, you Let's, know. Yeah.
0: Let's get into the Cowboys days. So you get, you get drafted by the Cowboys in the second round. Uh, and, uh-huh. and you got hurt, right? You're, you're going into this draft. So you didn't think you were going to get drafted on the first day even. You get picked in the second round. People said the Cowboys maybe could have gotten you later. But now all of a sudden you're going to be the starting quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. That's gotta yeah. be that's gotta be a heady thing, and you're and you're really Jerry Jones's guy. Apparently, he pulled the trigger and was the one who wanted you the most.
1: Heck yeah, man! It was a blessing. You know, uh, rest in heaven to my uh, to my former agent Eugene uh, Parker. Sure. You know, yeah, who passed on us. Um, back in 2016 and I was my guy but uh, but leading up to the draft uh, it wasn't a whole bunch of teams um, that uh, was going to pick me early now uh, one of the things that did started to get out was my habits you know um, I'm not sure who done it but uh, but you know people uh, the NFL scouts and teams found out that you know that I was a smoker in college and uh, so I had a lot of questions uh, going into the draft uh, How do you answer those as a, as a
0: young man? Like when teams are interviewing you do they ask you about that?
1: Yeah they did uh, you know I told them there were some things that you know that I was doing uh, you know, being a, a young, a uh, young guy, but those things are behind me. Um, uh, but you know, uh, a lot of teams. Uh, you know, kind of looked at it and frowned upon it. Uh, So uh, the Raiders were still uh, really heavy on me. The Ravens actually was, too. And uh, then you had the Cowboys, and I think it was a couple of others out there. Uh, But, man, you know what was real hurtful? I'll be honest with you. My own hometown team didn't even interview me uh, at the draft. Yeah, the Falcons. Now, I'll be honest with you. There was a guy that he was really, really thinking about named Michael Vick. Uh, so, so, so I get it. I get it.
0: We'll get back to this conversation in a second. But right now, a word from our sponsors.
1: From the host of the popular podcast, The Only One in the Room, stash by laura cathcart robbins is a propulsive and vivid memoir about the journey to sobriety and self-love amidst addiction privilege racism and self-sabotage best-selling author holly whitaker calls it an irresistibly delicious story and macarthur foundation fellow and best-selling author kiese Lehman
0: says stash is emotionally riveting buy stash by laura cathcart robbins now wherever books are sold hey there homeowners is it time to give your yard a complete makeover this summer? Velani Landshapers, a local family-owned business, has been transforming landscapes for more than 20 years. Velani Landshapers specializes in landscape design build, retaining walls, outdoor living spaces, and so much more. Request your free consultation today and check out their gallery of residential work at velani landshaperscom
1: The all-new Chevy Colorado is made for more stacked with the latest in-vehicle technologies like a class-leading 11-inch diagonal center touchscreen and an extra-large wireless charging pad. Plus, it features wireless Apple
0: CarPlay and Android Auto compatibility to make staying connected easy wherever your adventure takes you. Chevy Colorado, made for more. Learn more at chevrolet.com
1: slash truck Colorado. Claims based on latest competitive data. Uh but you know, before but you know, before the season now, all three of us and when I say the third guy is Drew Brees, we were all right there in the thick of things, uh, to get drafted pretty high. I mean but, you were thought you know, to be I, a Heisman
0: candidate going into the season. I mean everybody I was. there was a ton of heat around you.
1: Yeah, it was, man. And we had a great team too, by the way. Uh, but we got off to we got out the gates against uh, South Carolina was the second team, and then Charlie Strong um, he decides that he wants to throw this new defense at me this three five three that became really popular uh, in the early two thousands um, he threw that thing at me and let me tell you <laughs> I didn't know what I was seeing yeah. I threw it. I threw an interception to a, a defensive lineman, a defensive end, a linebacker, a safety, and a corner. I threw an interception at through, every position through, on the field. You threw five, right? It, it, yes, absolutely. Yeah. It was crazy. Um, and then, once again, right after that game, what do I go back to? Yeah, I went right back to it, you know, because that's the way I was releasing stress. Um so how's the stress
0: level here. when you get to, when you get to Dallas?
1: Well, you know something, uh, I got to be honest with you. Um I was so focused on proving that I belong in the NFL. Um uh, I didn't realize the value of what the Cowboys were you know, until really about 2009. This was after football, and I'm like, wow, man, people still, you know, keep talking about the Dallas Cowboy quarterback. Yes. Uh, so, so my pressure was more on me proving that I could, you know, that I belonged in the NFL. Uh, now, I did hear the, the Troy Aikman noise. I mean, that, you know, that was just... Well, you were basically you the, the,
0: the next quarterback. Tony Banks was in between you and Troy Aikman, but I mean... You were the guy. Absolutely. You were the guy. Yeah,
1: but that yeah. was a that was a two week period. Yeah. Uh him, <laughs> him being in between me and Troy. Yeah. Because um, you know, uh we released uh Troy I mean, we released uh Tony Banks uh a couple weeks in the training camp and I ended up starting that third preseason game, uh, which all the starters start. Uh all the starters play about <laughs> a half Um, and I got off to a little rocky start there. But then, you know, I I ended up getting hurt, which was really, to be honest with you, uh, my rookie year was the best thing for me. I tore my hamstring and missed about six or seven games. Uh, But anyway, going back to the pressure answer, um, you know, I I was so, you know, uh, focused on me sticking and staying in the NFL that, you know, um, that star of my helmet didn't over-exceed that
0: to yeah. be honest with you. And, and and so when when you start, are you still smoking? Obviously, because you start to you fail a couple a couple of drug tests. Uh, and, yes. And, and and so what happens there when you when you fail those drug tests and kind of people are looking at you now? You know.
1: Well, well, um, honestly, I didn't fail a drug test for the NFL until going into my second year. Okay. Uh, yeah, my rookie year one and and yes, I I started back smoking, but my rookie year once I got hurt, here's a time when my back was against the wall and I said, "Hey man, hey, we got to shape up and handle our business." So, I did not smoke the whole time when I was hurt wow. and uh leading up to get, yeah, leading up to getting myself back healthy. Um, And then as soon as I thought, you know, I can handle things and I win a couple games when I come back off injury, here I am you know, uh trying to be Joe Cool and, and putting things into my life that had no place. Uh so but uh anyway, so that second off season. Now this is where my addiction really truly showed up. Um and I didn't know it. Okay, how we get tested in the NFL back in those days, uh you get tested at uh OTAs which was many camps for us, which they kinda do it now I think too. Uh-huh. Uh so you get tested by position groups uh, um, receivers and DBs might get tested at one. The next one, defense lineman, offensive lineman, uh, what have you. So I was the last group to get tested. And it was um, quarterbacks and the kickers. I knew going into training camp that I was going to get tested. And I waited almost until like maybe three or four days before, um, before training camp tried to use some masking agents yeah. when they told us the night before we was going to be getting tested in the morning. And uh, and ended up selling that test. So that's the test that put me in the drug program. Um, and then I didn't sell another one until uh, – well, I failed that one before 2002 season. And I didn't sell another one until, um, until right before training camp in 2004.
0: Did you have like, you know, we talk about, you know, obviously I'm, I'm an alcoholic and I have all kinds of like, all kinds of that, that's alcoholic personality stuff, you know, feeling less than mm-hmm. and, and, and all that kind of stuff that I would use alcohol and drugs to make go away. Uh, did you, did you start to feel any of that? Like, you know, cause you're, you're a Dallas cowboy. And like you said, you're uh-huh. trying to prove that, you know, they made the right decision and that you could, you could exist in the NFL. Did you did you notice that like like with with any of the usage like the drinking or the smoking?
1: Absolutely. Uh I started to develop that me against the world um you know type attitude I would say when I got hurt in college. You know, cuz I had to sit up and listen, you know, uh to a you know, to a very uh, how can I describe this very vibrant and opinionated uh, fan fan base and uh, at at the University of Georgia, man. We hey, let me tell you, we got the best fans in the world. But uh, they, but they'll let you know their opinions too, and they love their dogs. And so, uh, so I was, you know, I was hurt so uh so i didn't you know get my mind off the things that was going to be positive at all times uh so i started to develop that me against the world mentality then you know i started listening to guys and i was feeding off of it too yeah. i started listening to guys you know saying that i wasn't going to be an nfl quarterback and i'm not going to get drafted and this and that so that me against the world uh mentality you know that you know, started to play a role when I got to the NFL. Uh, but you know, man, the man up above, um, I, I, you know, it's kind of hard to put it like this, but hey, with me getting hurt, you know, it opened up my eyes a little bit. Like, wait a minute, you know, yeah. uh, who's in charge? Who's in charge here? You know, I got your back anyway. Uh, and God was showing me so many different ways, man, throughout my whole life uh, that He's had me. But let me have this. You know, we talk about it in Step Three. Give me this will. That's what God is saying to me. All right, it's mine and it's not yours. Um, but anyway, so is it hard so when you're when you're a
0: superstar athlete to to I mean because you can room. handle you can handle everything right you think and so you, you can think. yeah so the last thing you're gonna do is give <laughs> give it to God right because it's like I got this I'm Quincy yeah, Carter but,
1: but but here's the thing now I'm a 14 year old uh, freshman in high school and I'm scared out my mind and fearful. Um, that I, you know, that you know that um, that I might not win in starting job because I had a pretty good quarterback with me uh, who was in the same grade as I, uh, same grade as I was, and now I'm fearful that I might not get in that starting job. And I'm on my knees. I'm developing my relationship with God. He's giving me everything I need as far as you know the strength and the wisdom to deal with everything. And then I get a little bit older. And my britches, you know, get a little bit too big for my, uh, too big for me. And then I forget about who gave me everything and the athletic ability and everything like that. Dude, that's just what we
0: do in the uh, recovery sometimes, right? Like like we stop drinking, we stop using, life gets better. And they're like, okay, I'll take it from here. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, the, I did that so many times coming out of rehab. Yeah, so many times, and God said, "Bro, sit down somewhere." So how I did you? Through. How did
0: you end up? How did you end up in rehab the first time? Like what was? Because I know I, I, I was watching something, and the first conversation you had with Bill Parcells is when you were in rehab. Yeah,
1: yeah when I was in rehab, yeah. that was my first time. Yeah, that 2003 season. Uh, because I, you know, I was all out of control. I ended up losing my job midway through the season uh, because I was in an evaluation process with the NFL. And so, I, basically, you can still smoke until they tell you, "Hey, all right, the evaluation period is over. Now these tests gonna start counting." They give you a couple to clean your system, whatever. But that never happened. And so, after the season, um, Jerry sat me down. And was like, "Hey, man, you got to get some help." Or you're not going to be playing football for us anymore, and so uh, was, so was he a good he was, was he a good
0: influence like a good I know I, I remember one thing I want to touch on is you you literally I mean and this shows the the balls that we have as uh, active alcoholics you got into an argument with him I, correct me if I'm wrong <laughs> all, on the sidelines during the game not not the quarterbacks coach not the offensive coordinator not the head coach the owner.
1: With the owner, here's the catch: twenty two. All right, I'm laughing about it now, but yeah. it was it's not that funny. Is you know, it's very ignorant. Um, but hey, we can take a laugh at. Of it Of course, now. man. I, I would we say
0: we're sober yeah. today, and so yeah, we can have exactly. a. If we weren't sober, probably it would not probably it wouldn't be funny. But you can look yeah. back now, and uh, exactly. it got you to where you are, which is a pretty good place. <laughs>
1: yeah great place but uh but yeah so I didn't threw four picks and um you know I was splitting reps with Chad Hutchinson uh during the week uh and it wasn't i mean it was very unprecedented but honestly looking back hindsight, okay, the only knows I'm still smoking you know my you know my demeanor attitude everything is not the same or the, the guy that he drafted me, so yeah he's gonna get a guy prepared you know to play when I'm sitting around uh, doing some of the things I'm doing. So I'm pissed. I done threw four picks, and I went over here uh, to him and said, hey, if you want me to be the quarterback – uh, uh, you want me to be the quarterback of this team, man. I need to be getting um, no one should be splitting reps with me with the first team in practice because I'm not getting enough reps. And then I can't tell you exactly what he said to me. Uh, but then me and him had words going back and forth. And I look back at that and like, are you serious, bro? Like you're the one who got yourself in the drug program. And so now I want to go pointing fingers because this man really runs the most important franchise in, in in sports period and still to this day. And he's got to get somebody else prepared because he knows that you're doing some things off the field that ain't helping his franchise where well, he's making billions of dollars. Yo, that is,
0: that's <laughs> the insanity. That's the insanity. <laughs> that's
1: the insanity right there. That is, you know, uh, And so that, hey, listen, that morning I got called into that office, uh, Coach Campo, who, sure we speak to this day too, man. That's my dude. Dave Campo was the head coach uh, then, yeah. Yes, uh huh. And he let me know, uh, like, hey, buddy, we're gonna have to sit you down and, uh, um, you gotta look at some things in your life right now that are stopping you from your greatness. And so after the season, that's when I went to rehab to, you know, basically to be honest with you, take a hard look at my life. Uh, but I never grasped right then and there what those steps would really do for me. You know, I didn't wanna face, uh, going and telling my teammates or my friends, you know, that, you know, that, hey, I'm an addict and this is the way I got to live my life. So in the drug program, actually, in the NFL, if you didn't say if you didn't get a DUI or anything like that, you could drink. Uh, And so now for the first time in my life, you know, I did a little drinking in college, but I didn't really like it. You know, I didn't like to be drunk like that, but I just did it for the boys and what have you. But now I'm substituting uh, drinking you know, for for the weed because yeah. I could drink a little bit. But I really didn't like to drink like that. But I found myself, when I did, I was drinking like I was smoking because I was already an addict and didn't know it. And so I didn't implement those 12 steps in my life, you know, at that point in time of going to rehab. Um, you know, I you know I the things that were smacking me in my face in rehab, man. I wanted no parts of it. <laughs> I did yeah. not want to take a deep dive look at my life at that time, and so uh, some of those character defects were still prevalent. Although I did, you know, um, I did not fail a test. You know, per se, uh, for marijuana. But I, I was substituting by drinking. Um, but you know, we ended up having a decent season that year. You went to uh, after, you go to the playoffs
0: in two thousand three. We went.
1: We did. We did. Uh, that was my most clearest. Um, were, you sober, were you sober? Were you
0: sober from us that season, or you you were drinking?
1: Well, I can't say I was sober because okay. yeah, I would periodically be drinking too. So, uh, but now drinking wasn't like my marijuana usage, like I wasn't going to be just sitting around uh, sipping on a fifth during the middle of the week, or yeah. I wasn't the guy who was going to go out on Friday nights because we knew uh, Saturday was going to be just a walkthrough, you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. I wasn't that kind of a drinker at that time. Now I became a heavy drinker later. Yeah, well, I we're, we're, yeah. Time. I, I want to get to
0: your recovery, but I got w- a couple more things about this before we get to your bottom you and you're like me, you had a couple of them, right? But you were you smoking Were you smoking weed like going to the facility? Um when you were when you were able to get away with it?
1: Uh not in the NFL. Okay, uh, and really not in college. Okay. I was a after practice guy uh smoker. Um, you know, now periodically during the uh off season, you know, I would smoke uh just to go lift and run. Which sounds crazy, don't it?
0: Yeah. <laughs> what okay. motivation. I
1: gotta go work out and, and use my lungs and then go run hundred yard sprint. But hey, I'm gonna go smoke before I do that, so it can help me out. Yeah, right. But uh, but no, I wasn't I wasn't a, a, a go to the facility smoker. But after you know, um, it's when you know I kind of in my you know in my own. Kind of space. That's some kind of things went down.
0: So in your in your words, it, you kind of get into a free fall when the, in the off season you guys make the playoffs, and then in the off season, Vinnie Testaverde, I guess at some point in training camp, joins the Cowboys, and uh-huh. uh, you didn't respond to that terribly well, and then you get cut. Before I remember, like shit, Quincy. I remember where I was, you know, when you uh, reading mm. that when you when you that was a huge deal, that yeah, you, and nobody really knew what the story was behind that, but Bill Parcells cuts uh, what, you. What, what was what was the reasoning behind that?
1: Uh well, uh a couple things. Uh one, the uh the test really did play a big factor um into me getting cut. You know, we had a um, uh what do we have? We had a uh, uh a scrimmage that saturday uh it was like the first scrimmage of uh training camp and it was on that saturday uh right before um i mean not right before but right after uh, right when we uh right after we got the training camp okay and uh the deal was they didn't want me to scrimmage uh because they thought i knew enough of the playbook and so, uh, so I was pretty, you know, I was pretty pissed about that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so after the scrimmage, we're watching the film and everything. And, um, and Sean, and I put my head on the desk and Sean Payton was like, Hey, you're not going to uh, watch this, uh, film. And, uh, and I said, no, I'm not on it. Like, an idiot. Uh- <laughs> Um and, and, uh, i never forget Sean Payton, me and, um, uh, me and uh, David Lee talk about this story a lot. But uh but Sean Payton runs out the uh meeting room and went to go talk to Bill about what was going on. Uh, and so uh so Bill did not say anything to me to be honest with you, uh that night. Um but uh but that next morning man, uh shoot, I think they knocked on that door about five thirty in the morning and uh, brought me to Jerry's uh, office and uh, and Jerry let me know the most fatal information I've ever got uh, besides I would say you know um, a couple hard deaths in my life yeah. Uh, but yeah um, but yeah he let me know that he was going to have to let me go uh, so the test was already failed though before I went to training camp you know that was already failed but now I'm looking at a four game fine for the first um, first four weeks, and then now you're putting your head on the desk, acting like a little kid after, you know, what they had already seen before. We can go back to the sideline altercation and stuff like that, and uh, Jerry had enough, man. Uh, it speaks here, here to your yeah, athletic thing. ability
0: that you've stuck around for, for that long. I mean, really, it does, mm-hmm. Quincy.
1: Well, man, I was blessed. But here's the thing, uh, and, and you just alluded to a little while ago about uh, it not being enough. Uh, I go to the playoffs. You know, uh, my life is really turning around. Yeah, I was doing a little drinking. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, I thought, you know, hey, this is, you know, probably the most, the best I've been in, uh, you know, mentally, emotionally without, you know, going into my me against the world mentality when I smoked at that time. Uh but I wanted that soap, that feeling back so bad. And so what do I do? I go out and, and use I go out and buy a Wizarder. It's April, May of all <laughs> season. I go out and buy a Wizardnator. And so I have been passing a test like that for three or four months. Let me tell you this. Now this is the crazy part. I decided that I wanted to go Back and being straight sober. Hey, we're not going to use this thing because it was wrecking me mentally. Can you imagine yeah. going around trying to collect piss and, <laughs> and and go
0: try to? It's a typical a, addict a fair thing fair fair to do, fair fair. right? And you're just waiting for oh, the other shoe to drop, God, right? Uh,
1: yes, absolutely. So, um, so that had been going on for three or four months, and now I decide, hey, I want to go clean. I go to the Bahamas. I get all cleaned up. Uh, come back. Um, take a few tests first. Uh, one of my guys, I won't put him on blast or whatever. Worked at a hospital, but uh, but man, we're dealing with you know Olympic testing with the NFL. So yeah. I go clean finally, and the one time I go clean, that's the test I failed. Unbelievable.
0: <laughs> and um, so you now you're looking at a four game <laughs> suspension. You put your head on the desk, and uh, yeah, and so you get cut in that. In that summer or that training camp of two thousand four, then what happens? Because that's when it just kind of hits that look, like we say in, in AA, that jumping off point. You know, How, yeah. what starts happening? You start to use other drugs, cocaine, all, all that stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah um, you know, you know, it's funny, uh, and I and I don't I don't say this um, honestly to uh, to try to combat uh my you know my you know my drug history uh but you know when it first came out everybody said I failed my test for cocaine well that came in a late at, at a later date you know for me uh but you know I was tinkering around with ecstasy a little bit uh but it was hit or miss
0: so was everybody else uh, in my, your defense at that time my, right yeah say that again i said so was everybody else at that time I, I was a big ecstasy guy i mean now we're addicts so we're different but yeah that stuff was uh, everywhere if you were if you were around the, the the wrong people i was about to say right people
1: exactly um but um but yeah so so uh so my depression though up in uh new york man i i never forget man really really started you know, to hit me, man. When I was up in New York, that was by far the most miserable time. Um, So you played for the Jets? Yes. uh, That was the most memorable time, man, I can say, um, when my depression really, really started, you know, to take toll on me. Uh, And I was, uh, man, it, it was so bad that I never really got, never really got I never even looked for an apartment. I never looked for a house. I literally stayed in a Marriott uh, extended stay type hotel with, you know, with a little sofa, what have you, the bed. And that's how I lived for five months, man. Like Uh, right in like
0: the Meadowlands or like down in the city?
1: No, I was. I see. Back then, you know, we were still in Long Island. Oh, that's Hofstra. right.
0: Okay, okay. By Hofstra.
1: Yeah. So yeah. So that's where we practiced. So I was off the LIE somewhere. Uh, <laughs> somewhere. Yeah.
0: In Hempstead. Yeah. Exactly.
1: No, literally. Okay. Off the LIE somewhere. <laughs> I don't even. I don't even remember the exit or anything. So you what know, kind of what it kind it of was, stuff so. were you
0: doing off the field? Because you ended up starting a little bit for the Jets, but you're just in free, <laughs> free fall now.
1: I'm in free fall, but I'm literally coming back home. Um, you know, it wasn't no studying because I stayed up at the complex enough to, you know, uh, make sure that, uh, that I knew what the other opposing team was doing and in our game plan. But I'm coming back home, man, and I'm drinking probably three four, uh, three, four days out the week, man, just to really get by and pass time. And um and it went like that, man, that whole that whole season. Uh I didn't I didn't not um break down all the way until the last game of the season. Uh we had played the Chargers that night before. I never forget. Um, you know, I honestly man, I wanted it all to end. Uh but we kick a late field goal and we win. Yeah and uh and man i could not just emotionally take it anymore man it was like it was draining me from and then at the time you know i added some more you know us, uh us addicts man we oh, yeah. we, we just can we just can't have a, a a little bit you know going on we want to add some more yeah. and so i actually i i asked my girlfriend at the time um i asked her to marry me and uh, so I added that stress along with me <laughs> on, on Christmas, man. And, you know, God bless her heart, man. She was a great woman, too. But at the time, man, you can imagine. Oh, so we, we, we take hostages, most, man. Dude, I couldn't even take care of my. Uh, that, what you just say? Say that again. We take we, we take
0: hostages, man. <laughs> we take
1: hostages with us, so you can try to feel bad for us too. Yeah. And uh, and 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 that's exactly what happened. To be honest with you, uh, I couldn't even take care of myself. How am I going to take care of this beautiful woman too? And with all this insecurity I'm feeling anyway. Um, so anyway, so I add that to my life, but that last um that last game, uh, we came back from um from San Diego it's but early in the morning, eight in the morning, and man, I just got to it all day. But the next day, um the drug test man called me, you know, that that night. Um and you know, at the time, uh, you know, I was doing pills at the time and drinking and so and so he called me that night what kind and said, of pills? Hey, he'll be there. Well, ecstasy pills. Okay, okay, okay. And so yeah, and so that night he called me back and um and well he called me and told me that hey he'll be there in the morning. And so uh, so I knew right then and there there's no way I can pass this test in the morning. And so uh, so I had to call my agent and let him know, man, hey, um This is what's up. I don't know what I'm going to do, but there's no way, you know, that I can fail this test or even try to take it. And so, man, I, you know, um, I stayed in uh, actually in Long Island, but I had to tell the piss man that I was going home uh, because, you know, I couldn't, you know, get the ball. Did you make up, did you do like a typical addict thing? Did
0: you make up like a family emergency or something or?
1: Yeah, absolutely, uh, and uh, one of the one of the biggest lies I, you know, I really want to take back to this day, uh, but hey, you know, uh, I was in survival mode, and so anyway, so I come back from my little hiatus, uh, which I didn't go anywhere by the way, but I come back from my little hiatus, uh, and I come back to practice on Thursday
0: because you guys are in the playoffs. Uh,
1: yeah, we, but we played on Saturday. Uh-huh. And so we had to practice that Tuesday anyway. So we got the day off on Monday because, you know, usually you get Tuesdays off. We got the day off on Monday. So we got to practice that day on Tuesday. So anyway, I don't get back to Thursday. And um, and then, uh, you know, I practice and everything. But Coach Hackett at the time said I didn't know enough of the offense. And so I can't even travel on Saturday. Uh, so I didn't even travel with the team, man. And, uh, we ended up losing to the Steelers, uh, which was a great game too, by the way. Uh, but we ended up losing to the Steelers and, uh, and that's how my season ended with me watching the game from the hotel and not even dressing out that game.
0: Jesus. So, so then and Herm Edwards was your head coach, right?
1: Say that again. So
0: Herm Edwards was the head coach. Yes, you are. Okay. And Paul Hackett's I mean, the offensive coordinator. So then it's done. So then so then what happens? How do we get how do we find our bottom? Because dude, that's that's an epic bottom right there. I mean you just painted the picture like you're in the hotel, right?
1: Yeah, I think that was my I think that was my first real bottom right there. Now I've had oof, I think I've had five six after that. Uh but that was my first bottom. You know, a few months later, um, a few months later, my bottom, uh, another bottom hit when uh, Herm was man, told me, you know, and this is what, late February, um, late February, I guess. And he told me right then and there, uh, right before the free agent signing period in March to sign back with those guys. I have some serious allegations out there, of you know, of what. Uh, what I was doing off the field. Uh, he didn't feel like nobody was going to sign me, uh, but he really wanted me back, man. Um, and uh, and I just, you know, was too young and dumb to realize what I was facing and thought that, you know, I could get signed uh, in free agency. Uh, but I also had another deal uh, going on behind closed doors, and I was really trying... Um, to prove a point of really getting my money from my grievance hearing. Yeah. Uh, because I was real upset at the time. I, you know, was sitting up blaming the world about this and that. Uh, and, you know, I, you know, me and the NFLPA thought that the Cowboys wrongfully released me uh, because you can't, you know, release anybody due to the drug program, pro ah, se. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's what happened in that press conference when Jerry said we're not releasing him because of his play. You know, uh, and so I had that going on too. But, you know, Herm, uh, you know, through – you know, hearsay or what have you, and his power in the position he was in, he knew I should sign back. And I didn't sign back. Uh, and then when I, you know, kind of realized that I wasn't going to be on an NFL team, you know, uh, to start a training camp, and, man, I just hit a bottom. Uh, and so that was my next time going into rehab uh, late in 2005, I want to say about October or what have you. Um, was another bottom that I hit, you know, during that first year that I realized I wasn't going to be playing in the National Football League in 2005.
0: When when did you start working with Thomas Henderson? Say that again? When did you start working with Thomas Henderson with Hollywood? Because I know was, he's he's a guy that's, was, that's helped you a little bit.
1: Yeah. Uh, um, this was 2007. Um. Uh, I... You know, I met, well, actually, man, the funny thing is, uh, is my mom reached out to him because she heard of his story. And so I'm in California with an ex girlfriend. Uh, the house is gone, there's no apartment anymore in Dallas, and I'm out there with her. And, um, and I called Hollywood one day and we got to talking, man. And he was telling me right then and there what, you know, I had to do and surrender to this thing to really get my life back on track. But those words that I, you know, hear so vividly today and the way I live my life, they didn't that didn't even resonate with me. What was resonating with me is I can do what I you know did in two thousand and what what three, uh, when I was on that phone conversation with Bill Parcell yeah. and I can go and I can go show face or what have you, but not surrender to this thing and then boom, I can get myself back in the NFL. Uh so that's what I was thinking. And heck, well, that was two thousand seven, yeah, late December.
0: And so you keep this thing going. When does it when did you actually surrender? Like when is the moment when you're like because even sometimes we'll surrender for, for real and then we will relapse. That's part of the story. But like yeah. when when did you surrender and you knew, okay, I've got to do this shit.
1: I'll be honest with you, not until 2017. That was my first time in California um, when I went out to uh, to Soba out in California. Uh, my man, Greg Hanley, man, really, really, uh, oh, okay. man, shout out to my guy. Yeah, man, Greg, uh, he brought me out there to Soba. Actually, I was in San Antonio, to be honest with you, to start. And then uh, I want to blame everybody else for the way my life been, uh been been. And I almost got into a fight. And so then I went out to sober. Uh, but I really knew right then and there, this is the lifestyle uh, that I have to live to stay sober. But here's the thing, though, and you know this uh, with recovery. You got to do some work. <laughs> <laughs> you got to do some work. It says it in the AA book, man. Resting on your laurels is one thing you do not want to do. And that's what happened after about nine months. You know, I got comfortable and thought I could just do this thing and uh, and I was going to be okay, like I had just put this thing behind me. Uh, and so I wasn't fixing my spirit on a daily basis, man, to go out here and deal with whatever life, you know, uh, brings to the table that day. And so, uh, so that thing just started, you know, slowly steamrolling. Now, you know, I'm back into having conversations with the boys back home and what they're doing, you know, and, um, and then that free fall started without even me picking up just my whole way uh, my lifestyle you know they say um, that right like not, the
0: relapse starts before the drink or the drug
1: oh absolutely Yeah, uh, and not you know going to meetings yeah. uh, not doing no step work not sponsoring anybody and, uh, right at that about 11 month period, uh, that's when I relapsed. And so, uh, so I'm not the relapse guy that comes straight back to rehab. So I went <laughs> off on a run for about, no, I'm not. Yeah. I went off on a run for about a couple years. Um, and it was just pure hell on earth. Good God almighty. Um, I can go on and on telling you stories about those couple of years. But anyway, uh God brought me back to my knees, man, uh back in two thousand nineteen. Uh my guy Hollywood, I tell you the truth, man, was still there, still is to this day. Uh I called him and uh and and I heard a message so loud and clear from him. Now you know you gotta get sober on your own. Yeah. Uh nobody can do it for you. You can't do it for anybody else. But I call him and tell him, I told him, I said, hey, you know, I really, man, mean it. I got to do this thing. I know what I got to do. And he told me right clear in there, and I heard it loud and clear. He said, man, this is my last time helping you because I keep doing this, and then you keep just thinking that you can go back out here and wheel this thing yourself. You have to surrender to this thing. Uh, and so, man, I came up here to Austin, where I still am today, uh, and I haven't looked back, man. I surrendered to God. I surrendered to the program. I, heck, I sponsored God. I saw you, you so know, I was that- at
0: that Tuesday night meeting um, the AA meeting in Austin. And I saw you get your, uh-huh. your, your, I think it was your two year chip last year. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Wow. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh,
0: and you know, I ta- I'd had Hollywood on this podcast and I asked him, I was like, you know, you think I can, cause I wanted to ask him, I was like, you think I could reach out to Quincy? And he's like, yeah. And, and he is, he's so fond of you. And he is so, he is so cool, man. I mean, he just oozes <laughs> recovery and serenity and he's calm and his story is so compelling. Uh, he's yeah. he's just one of those guys, man. He's got what w- w- what I want, you know.
1: Yeah, you just said it, man. That calm spirit—you can just feel yeah. it, can't you? When you talk to him, yeah, yeah. But you know, he he's fixing his spirit on a daily basis to, you know, to deal with life, and he understands, you know, wholeheartedly, totally that he don't run anything and that God's in control. And man, should he live like that for thirty-eight years? And I'm sure you know he has some issues or this and that. Uh, We all do, right? Yeah, exactly. But you know the way you deal with it, and the way you allow God into your life, and uh, and understanding. You know, the biggest thing I I think, one of the biggest things I think uh, I've been able to understand and learn. Uh, and I alluded to it, you know, um, a while ago uh, in this conversation. But allowing whatever the world brings to you, whatever life brings to you, but knowing all right, that you're not in control, and just being okay with the results, man, that is just so beautiful, you know, to uh, to go through something, uh, to for it not to work out in your favor for you know you have to sit up uh for a whole year and not drive and get your driver's license start over from zero but what can you do uh you can't do anything and so how do you fix your spirit to be okay with life when it doesn't go your way uh and that's one of the most beautiful things man I've been able to learn through this How process. do you
0: how do you fix your spirit like uh, you, when, when stuff's not going your way
1: Well, you know, I fix it every morning anyway by meditating if I don't have time for that, uh, reading one of my 24 hour day books, uh praying, you know, talking hell, you know, calling Hollywood, calling another one of my mentors, rest in heaven to my other guy, uh Skip Walker, man, who was actually he was my sponsor here in Austin because you know Hollywood lives in Florida. Yeah. Uh but I fixed it on a daily basis, doing those type of things uh anyway. And then when you know when things get tough on me, man, I refer back to what's been working for me. And I can't turn that off now. I know it works. I feel it. I love it. It's doing something for me. Why turn that button off? Why go crying like a baby? You know, uh, and that's one of the, another biggest things about, you know, alcoholics and addicts, man. You know, um, we don't realize uh, until we really get into these steps, man, that we don't know how to deal with life when life us upside the head. We deal with it by drinking or through drugs. Yeah.
0: That's the only way we know. You know, and uh, like you said, it was, it's a friend for so long until it isn't.
1: Yeah, buddy. Uh, But you, you, you learn to start, you know, it's, it's almost like when you, when you first start, you know, when you're a baby, you know, you, you start crawling first. But you're doing the things because you're older now you're doing the things that consciously is going to help your whole life you know, entirely. And so you just keep practicing and practicing and practicing until it just becomes a routine. And you cannot stray away from that first step experience. You've got to remind yourself when the when, when it really gets tough, bruh, what was it like before I got sober? <laughs> and then you can look back at that moment for whatever you're going through and then say, whoa. Let me pick up this phone. If this phone don't work, let me run to a meeting. You got Zoom, 24-hour Zoom meetings out here. Let me pray. Let me meditate. But, boy, if you can just look at that first-step experience, man, listen, that thing is loud and clear to you. Now, just use the tools because they work. Trust me, they work.
0: Dude, I haven't heard anybody mention that in a while. Like Just just to keep it real basic, just remember how manageable it was and, and, and the shit show it was before.
1: What? If you can look back at that, boy, good God, oh my, you can save yourself a lot of hardship, man.
0: All right, so look, before I let you get out of here, I got like one or two more things. You are, now you're, quarter, you're basically it's a nice place to be a quarterback coach, I would think, in, in Austin, right? So if you got prospects who are top athletes in the area, they they reach hey, out to yeah. you and you you mentor them.
1: Uh, I do, man. And it's uh, it's a God-given ability, innate ability, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I love touching lives. Uh, I'm just so proud that I don't have to look in that mirror after – because, you know, I've been having my quarterback school for a while, but yeah. I hadn't got out there, you know, on this level. Uh, because, man, I was, I was still running. I was fearful yeah. that they might see that guy who was getting off the field and doing whatever – you know, off the field. So, uh, but anyway, so I just, I love helping people, uh, you know, I played the position. Uh, and I naturally got, you know, um, I naturally uh, love it, you know, just by playing it. I want it to be played the right way. I know how important it is to be a leader. You know, I know how um, important a quarterback means to his whole team, his community, his whole city. You know, and I know what that means, man. And so for me to be able to implement, you know, what uh, my coaches, heck, the David Lee, the Sean Paytons, even going back to my high school coach, Stephen Davenport and Buck Godfrey to implement what these guys put into my life. And I can, you know, instill it into them. Uh, man, it's a beautiful thing. I'm blessed, man. I'm really blessed. How has your
0: message changed to your athletes since you've gotten sober?
1: It's, it's well the message hadn't changed much you know lead drugs alone uh, what you got to do to be a quarterback, but the message is authentic now. <laughs> the message, yeah. I can I can say the message and then go back and look at myself in the mirror and say, hey, you know what You all right. <laughs> but I could look in that mirror telling somebody to start smoking and drinking or if I get an athlete who's starting to tinker around with weed, but then they sitting up looking in my eyes and knowing, hey, is Coach doing something? Because you can't lie to these kids, man. These kids see it. So, you know, the message I would say now is more authentic. It's more God-led. You know, my spirit is filled. So now I can feel anything that someone may be going through. And now my spirit is right. And so I can give you what God is putting into me right away. When you're getting blocked, you know, um, when you putting these things in front of you know, God, uh, and I'm losing the right words. Well, you're, blo- you you're please, blocking
0: off that sunlight of the spirit, man. When you put what, stuff exactly before God. That's
1: what I'm trying to say. Yeah. When you're blocking that sunlight off, you can't give it to these guys. It's not authentic.
0: Yeah. Last you know? last question for you. What do you tell somebody? Because I know you sponsor guys. What do you tell somebody that comes in on the first or second day and, they, and they're they like, hey, man, what what, what do I do?
1: Man, listen. I, I say this so bold and clear, and this is my go-to uh, because it's so real. If you do not surrender, all right, to God. And, and don't let that block you out, but it's gotta be a higher power. It's gotta be something outside of yourself. Hell, it can be the, the, uh, the AA fellowship, the NA fellowship, whatever it is, it can be that book, but it's gotta be something outside yourself. If you don't surrender to God or a higher power, and if you don't thoroughly go through these steps and live this recovery life, you don't have a chance. And the other thing, the last thing, is uh, going in that book and uh, read Chapter 3, More on Alcoholism. And if that book, I mean, if that chapter don't hit you in your face and you don't realize uh, you're an addict or an alcoholic and you do not surrender to this program or higher power of God, you don't have a chance. And it's that cut and dry, man. And I don't, you know, I don't even play around with it because that's so true you got to do the hard work. you got to get through step, uh, all the steps. But, you know, you really, really got to get through step four thoroughly and get everything out on the table. And then, man, start working on them, care the defects and shortcomings, make them amends. Get your continuous program. We got a ten-step set up for you. You know where you can. It's a daily, well, not daily thing, but you know you can ten-step whenever. uh, Identify the problem. You know, show where you uh, you've been wrong in the issue. Discuss it with somebody. Eleven you know, continuous prayer and meditation and twelve, man, go out and help somebody else and hey, the main one, three, you know, uh giving your will over to a higher power of God, man. Um, and man, but you gotta go through these steps. You got, you know, to give that will over to God, man. You gotta surrender to God or a higher power and there's no cut I mean there's no way. There's no shortcuts, man. And I can no tell shortcut. by talking
0: to you, it's about being free and you're free. Oh, yes, you know, yes, and you are living yes, a real yes. good, real attractive yes. life.
1: Yeah, buddy. Um, but you got to go through the hard work, man, and it's well worth it. And man, just go live your life. Um, but yeah, that uh that chapter 3 and I, you know, I can't skip over the doctor's opinion too, man. That's a great read there too. But uh but you can you can that thing will hit you in your face. In uh, in step three, I mean, I'm sorry, not in step three, but on uh, on page thirty, more on alcoholism.
0: Dude, Quincy, I can't thank you enough, man, for giving me this time and for being a service today. Uh, I've been I've been I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. I've been following you for a long time, so I I really appreciate the time and and you know, people like you carrying the message when I was trying to get sober, um, when somebody like you. I was open and vulnerable. It, It really was attractive to me and it enabled me to get closer to this program and finally to a solution. So, man, I thank you so much,
1: man. Thank you for having me, man. I, you know, I had the guy in my life years ago who was trying to tell me this long time ago. Um, but you know, um, just like it says in, on, on page 30, and I'm going to shut up, too. I'm I'm, I'm it right <laughs> this now. This is great. But like it, said, like, like it says uh, on page 30, the, the delusion that we can smoke or drink like anybody else has to be smashed. Read that, man. Read it and let it bless you. All right, I'm going to shut up.